Support for Project Resilience Programming on Utah Public Radio is brought to you in part by our members and USU Center for Persons with Disabilities, working to create healthy, inclusive communities through innovative research, service, technical assistance, and education. Information at cpd.usu.edu. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. It's UPAR's Fall Member Drive. What that means is some best of, uh, some uh, episodes and segments that we consider uh, to be uh, uh, exceptional, and we're going to play this for you uh, today. And that means we're joined by a very special guest, and today we're joined uh, for the hour by USU Associate Professor of Communication Studies, Jason Gilmore. We'll present parts of several recent Access Utah interviews. Uh, we'll hear excerpts from an episode in June responding to protests against police violence in the aftermath of the death of George Floyd. From an episode in July talking about police reform in Utah. And uh, from just last week with Carol Anderson in which we talked about voting rights. And uh, we welcome back uh, Jason Gilmore. Welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Tom. Uh, so uh, double thanks. Uh, I believe you're on sabbatical this year. I am indeed. <laughs> um, so uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. So um, uh, I want to talk about just just a little bit about you to begin the program. Um, uh, tell I, I don't ask you this uh, very often. We just jump right in. What um, you're you're an associate professor of global communication. Uh, what do you focus on? Mm-hmm. Um, my research and teaching focus on. Um, kind of political communications. I, I focus on, on ideas that are uh, particularly powerful, that are uh, communicated both within and, and across national borders. Uh, so my recent uh, research focuses on the concept of American exceptionalism and how that plays both in kind of the national political arena, uh, as well as how it plays kind of in an international sense. So that's kind of in a nutshell what it is that I do. All right. And uh, I noticed from your website, your your book that we've talked about uh, a little bit that you've, you've been working on, that's uh, coming out in March of next year. It is, yeah. Um, we're really excited about it. Um, it focuses on that same uh, idea of American exceptionalism, but specifically in the in the Trump, uh, both the 2016 election cycle uh, as well as his presidency. Uh, it's called Exceptional Me, How Donald Trump Exploited the Discourse of American Exceptionalism. And you're studying, um, I think you study the, the, uh, President Trump's language, right? Exactly, yeah. So we're, what, we, uh, what we focus on are his kind of rhetorical techniques, um, so specifically how he communicates uh, the idea of American exceptionalism. Um, and the book is really a comparative analysis uh, between Trump, well, in the 2016 campaign between Trump um, and other candidates who are, you know, running against a, 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 an opposing party that's sitting in the White House. Um, and then in his presidency, we compare him, his communications with uh, every president dating back to the end of uh, World War II. So uh, from Truman up to Trump. Mm. Uh, th- this next question might get us into trouble. We'll try not to have it do that. But um, I noticed this, the, <laughs> the, the, the subtitle, How Donald Trump Exploited Past Tense, The Discourse of American Exceptionalism. This book's coming out in March. Is is that a prediction from the authors of uh, of, of the status of the president uh, at that point? 
No, it's not a prediction. Um, it's simply, you know, everything in the book will have been past tense at the time that people will read it. Okay. Um, so there might be updated editions down the road, uh, but no, it's not necessarily a prediction. Uh, okay. All right. Great. Uh, that didn't get us into too much trouble, I don't think. And, uh, you know, nobody knows. Indeed. The, the, this election's up in the air, and who knows who's going to win this election. Um, Very much. So let's jump right in. Um, Jason Gilmore, you were involved in this episode from early June, I think it was June 1st or something, uh, right after the, yep. uh, uh, the, the the protests that were sweeping nationwide and worldwide in the aftermath of the death of uh, George Floyd. And uh, so uh, we got uh, Professor Gilmore. We asked uh, Forrest Crawford, professor of teacher education at Weber State University. He's also founder of Utah's Martin Luther King Jr. Human Rights Commission. Uh, we had with us as well Ross Peterson, Emeritus Professor of History at USU, and Mar- Maricela Martinez-Colas, Professor of Sociology at USU. And uh, just, just, just talking about this, reacting to this, uh, some of these protests are still going on. Um, let's just hear just a very—this is one minute, and th- this really struck me from the beginning of the, the program. Uh, this is Professor Martinez-Cola. Uh, so, uh, same question to you, Maricela Martinez-Cola. What's top of mind for you as you watch these uh, events unfold? You know what, uh, for me, what comes to mind is, honestly, I've been meditating a lot on Fannie Lou Hamer's word, at the, uh, famous quote at the 1964 uh, DNC, where she said, I'm just, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Um, right. And that's what I'm sensing from people. And, and you know, I think the thing that is, so challenging is that this really is making people sick you know that that racism and oppression is an illness it's a public health issue honestly and people are tired because this has been happening you know as dr crawford said you know from the beginning 1965 watch riots 1967 detroit riots you know um the murder of fred hampton the murder of ruben salazar all throughout history we just have you know all these examples and I think that this is really hard because you have a pandemic meeting police brutality, and both of those are really very stressful on the body and the mind. So that's uh, Professor Martinez-Cola from that uh, episode in June. Um, That that, uh, struck me. Of course, we've heard that quote from Fanny Lou Hamer, and that's from the 1960s, right, I think, Jason Gilmore. Um, Indeed. Uh, she was sick and tired of being sick and tired then. <laughs> Many are sick and tired of being sick and tired, what, you know, uh, 50 years later. Um, it it, it yeah, seems like things haven't moved that much. It really, I think that's kind of the the crux of, of the conversation that needs to be happening on the on the national, well, and the international level for that matter, is that, um, you know, those who are pretending like this is some recent phenomenon um, or that it was something that just that was already taken care of and people need to stop complaining about um, is just not a helpful part of this conversation. And it's not really taking into account um, the h- historical context of racism in the United States. Um, so it is important for us to take a look back and realize um, that this has happened and this has manifested at so many different times and in our national and international history, um, that we need to we need to maybe do something more about this. It can't be something that's brushed aside. It can't be something that's simply policed away. Um, it's something that we have to have difficult conversations about 
as a nation, and we have to be open to having those conversations, um, which I think in a divided America, it's, it's hard to even start to have those conversations because we kind of get into this bifurcated uh, binary approach to politics, which is you're either with me or you're, you're against me instead of we're all in this together. We might disagree on some things, but I think we could maybe agree on on some some aspects here. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the message has to be, this is not, we don't ignore this away. This is going to rear its ugly head again and again in our country. And we have an opportunity to maybe make some really substantial uh, steps in a direction where, where we can prevent this from happening uh, down the road. And I think that's really uh, where our national conversation would be best served to be, um, and we need to make some headway at, at getting ourselves to the, to the table to have these conversations. I want to play just another short excerpt, and this is from a, uh, an episode a little later on in the summer, uh, July 23rd. Uh, we talked about um, police reform in Utah, and we talked with Representative Sandra Hollins, Democrat from Salt Lake City, and with Darlene McDonald, chairwoman of the Utah Black Roundtable. And she's a member of the newly created Salt Lake City Commission for Racial Equity and Policing. Um, so this is Representative Hollins from that episode, um, just talking about our need to acknowledge the, the past. Let's hear this. Representative Hollins, uh, same question to you. So do you agree that the start, the starting point is to admit we have a problem? And then where do we go from there? Absolutely. And I agree with everything Darlene says. Um, but with that, I want to also add that we have to first acknowledge our past. We have to acknowledge that slavery did exist in this country, and we have to tell the truth about it. And we also have to teach it um, and not sugarcoat it. And I think part of that is part of the issue. We don't want to talk about our past and what led us to this point. Um, so I think that's, that's part of what needs to be done, but we also and she said, we also need to acknowledge our own biases. We all need to acknowledge our own privilege and um, moving forward in our everyday lives. Um, and and, and, that, and that's, I think that's going to be the biggest part of it. So that's Representative Sandra Hollins uh, talking about the need to acknowledge. That's the, that's the starting point, she says, in dealing with systemic racism in society and in, in uh, policing um, but, uh, and you made reference to this, Jason Gilmore, but I wonder, uh, with all the divisions and the divisions seem to be getting worse, um, how do we all agree on this? Because a, a large segment of the population, I believe, uh, you know, denies their systemic racism and, uh, and believes we just need to move on. Yeah. I mean, that's the question of the perhaps the century, right, is how, how do we get back to the table with each other? Um, you know, I read something this morning about, uh, uh, I think it was from, uh, it may have been a New York Times poll, uh, where it polled how Americans are actually a lot closer on the issues than our national politics um, tend to paint us. And the problem is, is our national politics um, rely on that same binary uh, you're with us or you're against us narrative um, that always divides us. And, you know, it's, a, it's the nature of politics. You, you, 
you vote for me and you vote against the other person. You have to be for me and, and against the other person, or at least that's how our elections and our two-party system have, have taken us in that direction. Um, so I, I don't have the, the kind of cure-all answer of how we, how we bring people back to the table, how we start to talk about the fact that we might actually have some things in, in common. You know, I've read enough narratives on the kind of denialist uh, side of things to know that that um, this it is a troubling issue, um, but it's one that I don't think a lot of people have the tools uh, to talk about and to understand um, because we're not together at the table. We're not having a conversation that says, here's my perspective on this. And, and done so in a, a respectful manner. I, I know there are a lot of people out there who would like to, to take some, some space at the table and have those conversations. Um, and maybe that's what it comes down to, is the, the, the group of people who are willing to uh, reach across the aisle and find some common narratives that can appeal um, to that bifurcated uh, sensor, that the the divide, the two divide, the the two parties on the side of the divide in America, um, to model that behavior for them and to show them that it's not toxic, it's not dangerous, and they're not dealing with the enemy. They're dealing with other Americans who are also concerned about their community, um, and maybe find a common narrative. So I think it does take those of us. I count myself in that group of people. Um, who are willing to, to have a conversation across the divide, who are willing to sit down and listen um, and uh, see if we can't find uh, some common narratives, again, that, that, can, that can create a larger movement. Well, uh, we'll go to a break soon, and when we come back, uh, I want to hear about a 10-minute passage. Uh, usually you have shorter segments, but uh, I thought this was so extraordinary uh, from that episode in July um, where... Representative Hollins and uh, Ms. McDonald uh, started talking about their lived experiences as black women uh, and their families. Um, and uh, I thought that was just is just fascinating, um, to, you know, to, to hear their experiences from, from their own mouths. We'll hear that uh, after we take a break. But before we do that, Jason Gilmore, um, let's take care of the business while we're here today, which is to raise money for <laughs> for Utah Public Radio. Uh, so we have some exciting news. Uh, Vernie Heaney, a, a wonderful uh, listener in Vernal, it has put up a $600 dollar-for-dollar match this morning. That's uh, now until noon, uh, up until $600. So um, that's during Access Utah Radio Lab and Latino USA. And uh, so this morning, your pledge will count for two. Um, she'd especially like to challenge all of UPR listeners in Vernal and the Uona Basin to meet this challenge by making this donation this morning. I second that. I'm from the Uona Basin. Uh, Vernie would also like to uh, challenge all UPR listeners who are school teachers or retired school teachers. Uh, so that's uh, that's wonderful. Uh, that is a $600 dollar-for-dollar match from Vernie Heaney. Your money doubled this morning, so hope you take advantage of that. Here's how you reach us, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. If you're listening in the evening, don't call, but uh, but uh, all day you can use this uh, uh, contact point, upr.org, upr.org. Uh, we thank John Gilbert and Hisaku Kure from uh, North Logan, Tim Hudson from Hyde Park, 
Darcy Ostergar from Logan and Elizabeth Larson from St. George. They've called in recently. Thank you so much. Won't you add your support to theirs? Uh, Jason Gilmore, what, uh, why should fellow listeners give to, to UPR? I think the conversation we're having right now is um, ex- an example of what I'm talking about, about being willing to have conversations that are difficult, being willing to listen to other people's stories without having to try and tell their narratives for them, providing a space for us to, to have these conversations, these difficult conversations that can lead us uh, as a nation in the right direction. I, I commend you for for being willing to have these conversations, for bringing this time and time again to Utah Public Radio. And the thing is, is that these are the spaces that we need. Um, And so, you know, I'm a sustaining member. Um, I really think that people need to step up in these types of situations and say, we need to keep live um, our sources of balanced information, of thoughtful conversation, and supporting UPR. I can't think of any better way to do that thank you jason gilmore and appreciate your support as well um and so if it's time to renew your membership or perhaps you're a potential new member to utah public radio uh, kind of unsure how this works just a couple of minutes you go to our website upr.org upr.org fill out the online form and uh, and and there you go you'll you'll feel better about your listening that's a phenomenon we've, we've heard over and over again once you take ownership and uh Today, uh, this morning anyway, uh, up until noon and up until $600, Vernie Heaney is doubling your money. Uh, so have your money uh, doubled by Vernie Heaney. She's offered to match dollar-for-dollar dollar all pledges made uh, during uh, this time and um, would especially challenge all UPR listeners in Vernal and the Una Basin and uh, UPR listeners who are school teachers or retired school teachers. So thank you for that match, uh, Vernie Heaney. And I'm thanking you in advance for your pledge. We'll have a break now. We'll come back more with Jason Gilmore. Utah Public Radio programming is supported in part by our members and the Cache Valley Visitors Bureau, showcasing the great outdoors with hiking, fishing, and camping. Information on trails, campsites, and more available online at explorelogan.com or visit 199 North Main in Logan. Did you know that researchers are developing apps to help with depression? Studies have found that online programs can help people learn acceptance and commitment therapy, or ACT, which has been proven to help with a variety of mental health issues, including depression and anxiety. People who are unsure about starting therapy can first learn ACT skills using an online program and then progress to therapy sessions. The ACT model teaches skills that can be applied in a variety of ways, such as mindfulness, time management, and handling challenging emotions. This segment of Did You Know That has been brought to you by our members and the Emma Eccles-Jones College of Education and Human Services, committed to mentoring tomorrow's educators, researchers, and clinicians, located on campuses in Logan and 26 other sites throughout Utah. Thanks for listening to Access U Time. Tom Williams. It's the uh, UPR Fall Member Drive. That means uh, some special best of uh, segments and a special guest. And our guest is USU Associate Professor of Communication Studies Jason Gilmore, uh, who's also a UPR member. So thanks for that. 
Uh, we are hearing uh, some episodes from the summer, mostly. Uh, we heard an episode reacting to the aftermath of the death of George Floyd. Upcoming, we're going to hear about uh, police reform in Utah. But really, from that episode, it's going to be the lived experiences of uh, a couple of families, the, the guests that we've, we're talking to there. And uh, we'll hear from Carol Anderson, uh, author and professor, um, who joined us just last week, and we talked about voting rights which is much in the news, uh, of course, uh, today. Um, and uh, we want to remind you that uh, we have a dollar-for-dollar dollar match ongoing right now from Vernie Heaney. So thanks to Vernie Heaney and Vernal. Uh, she's generously offered to match your pledge dollar-for-dollar um, through this morning up until noon, uh, $600 worth. Uh, so your pledge is doubled this morning. Um, and she's especially challenging uh, uh, you if uh, you live in Vernal, you in a basin, uh, or if you're a school teacher or retired school teacher, and of course uh, anyone eligible to have their money doubled uh, today. Uh, Jason Gilmore, uh, what, do you remember when you first became a member of uh, your public radio station? Um, yeah, the first time I became a member was uh, I lived in. I'm from Denver, Colorado, so Colorado Public Radio was the first. Uh, time I supported my my local uh, public radio station. Um, you know, it was interesting to always hear these pledge drives um, and to uh, to kind of wonder why it was interrupting my regular programming. That you know, that was my initial thought uh, because I don't think I recognized uh, right at the outset uh, what an amazing thing it is to have. A real, you know, for all intents and purposes, free service like this um, to our democracy, you know. So that was something that I that I had to kind of warm to, that I had to 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 be told about. And I think really that's why I come on with this narrative of this is an important piece of our democracy. This is an important part of being citizens is to is to put our money behind causes that we believe in. And if you believe in uh, uh, this type of uh, storytelling, of letting people tell their their difficult stories, of learning from our narratives, because so much of public radio is about allowing people to tell their stories, um, which is really how we relate to one another. You know, it's not the statistics that the news programs tell us. It's 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 the stories uh, that really move us. Uh, so that's really what's drawn me back in time and time again from Seattle Public Radio when I lived there to uh, listening to uh, National Public Radio when I lived abroad uh, to now here in Utah. Um, I love the fact that Utah Public Radio is here on the Utah, U- or Utah State University campus because it's so near me. Um, it's just such an important service. So, you know, that's, that's why I was drawn into this. Um, and I think if we look at our times now um, and the fact that our democracy seems to be um, being tested uh, in many ways, that the, the notion of truth is being tested in many ways, um, that it's even more important to have a service like Utah Public Radio um, helping spread these narratives um, so that we can understand each other better. Uh, so, you know, I encourage everybody, you know, do what you can, but do something, give something, um, because it's important, right? It's, it's not a service just to Utah Public Radio. It's a service to the community. It's a service to the state and those listening outside of the state. 
Well said. Thank you for that. Uh, and uh, and this morning, up until noon, dollar for dollar match from Vernie Heaney. So your money is doubled. Hope you'll take advantage of this. Uh, if you've been waiting for a time when uh, your money be especially impactful, well, this is a great time. Your money is doubled. And, of course, all of that money, your money, Vernie Heaney's money, all of it comes to Utah Public Radio and, uh, and supports programs like Access Utah, uh, like Radio Lab, like Latino USA. Uh, so Vernon Heaney has uh, offered to uh, match your uh, pledge dollar for dollar up to $600. And uh, she's especially challenging you pair listeners in Vernal and the Iona Basin to beat this challenge by making a donation. And challenging you pair listeners who are school teachers or retired school teachers. So our thanks to Vernon Heaney out in Vernal. Our thanks to you and uh, hope that you will uh, contact us. One of a, a couple of points. You can always contact us at upr.org, upr.org. Fill out the online form there. just takes a couple of minutes. Look at the thank you gifts as well. And uh, if you're listening in the morning, it's uh, the phone number, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. Uh, well, Jason Gilmore, let's uh, jump into uh, another segment. Um, I'll roll back the curtains here a couple of times. I think it's happened more than once. I've called you or had a producer uh, call you and, and say, hey, uh, Jason, let's respond to whatever issue of race is happening, right? And uh, and my my thought is you and me, and then and then you tell me I'm happy to come on, but uh, probably two white guys talking about this isn't a <laughs> alone isn't a good look, right? This has happened well, I think, just, more than once. Not just not a good look, but um, it's not the it's not the full story, right? We need yeah. we need other voices. We need a diverse array of voices. And I'm a slow learner because it's like I said, it's <laughs> you've told me this more than once. But uh, but but the, the the point is a good one, right? Uh, because you and I, uh, uh, for one thing, have very different lived experiences than you know the, than black people for you know people of color for for example. Indeed, I mean it's it's important that that we're here having the conversation, providing the space, without a doubt. I mean, I think. You know, using your position at Utah Public Radio to to provide a forum for this this type of conversation to happen um, is is incredibly uh, generous. It's incredibly important, um, but also recognizing that our perspectives on these things and our stories um, have been sometimes the the dominant, or not sometimes, but for the longest time, have been the dominant perspective. And so it's it's important that we bring in the voices. Um, who this is most affecting. So I'm with you entirely on that. So uh, that's a lead-in to this this segment. Uh, this is a, an episode from July. And, of course, the, the ongoing protests uh, in the aftermath of the death of George Floyd, uh, the impetus is uh, police reform, right? Um, and so um, uh, Salt Lake City uh, created a Salt Lake City Commission on Racial Equity and Policing, and a member of that uh, commission is Darlene McDonald, chairwoman of Utah Black Roundtable. So we we had her on this program. Also, we had uh, Representative Sandra Hollins, Democrat from Salt Lake City, who's worked in this area. Um, and, of course, we talked about police reform and what that would look like. But in this passage, it's about a 10-minute passage, uh, these two uh, great women uh, got talking about their lived experiences and the, and the lived experiences of their families 
uh, and I found this so impactful because it, it's so different from my lived experiences, and and uh, we can we can learn from this. So uh, here's uh, here's an excerpt from this uh, episode on police reform. Darling McDonald, I would like to maybe have you talk a little bit about the implicit bias training. I guess bringing uh, biases that we have uh, forward to consciousness, right? That a lot of it's unconscious. A lot of it is unconscious, and a lot of it. A lot of it comes also from our media and what type of media we we assume consume. I should say, how do we how do we look at each other, and yeah, how do we look at each other? What do we assume about each other? One of the greatest examples is the elevator example, right? Um, when a white woman gets on the elevator and a black man gets on the elevator, she will clutch her purse tighter. Or you see a black man walking across, the, walking down the street, you cross the street. How do we look at people, the way that we view African-American women, the words and the adjectives that are used to describe African-American um, people and women especially? This is something that I speak about a lot on social media. And when we um, think about and talk about especially our legislators of color and how we describe them if they are firebrands or anything that we use and we associate those words with people of color, especially people of color, that we don't associate with our white male legislators or even white female legislators. So these are things that I, I speak about and train on and have been trained on to look for when we talk about implicit biases and how we need to address that in, in everything that we do. And that's going to be the work going forward, especially when we look into the systemic racism um, within our all of our institutions, whether it's from policing, financial, electoral, education, all of it. We have to address the implicit biases. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I was reading uh, reading a column just a few days ago. The, the columnist said something that's really struck me. Uh, he said that before we can uh, or we won't be successful in eliminating or reducing systemic racism in the police department until we are successful at the society level. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what you think about that. Um, are you, are, is that for me or Representative uh, Howard? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll start with you, Darlene McDonald. Yes. Okay. <laughs> you know, when you change the institution, you change the people within the institution. We have to understand how policing in America came about, and that speaks directly to what Representative Holland has spoke about earlier when she said, know our history. We must learn our history. And when you learn the history of how policing in America started and its tie-in and relationship to slavery, then you learn exactly how and why policing is the way it is, especially the over-policing of communities of color. You don't have the same type of policing in communities of color as you have in white communities. Protect and serve the communities. And white people will have a positive view of policing when it's protect and serve. They'll walk the streets in the community to form those relationships and you 
wouldn't think anything of it. That is not the same in communities of color. When, when um, COVID hit, and, and not speaking about the disparity in the healthcare system, but one of the my, one of the biggest concerns that I have when we talk about whether or not we're going to penalize people for not wearing a mask, and I absolutely believe that everyone should wear a mask if they're outside, they're going to be engaged with groups of people. Put a mask on. Wear a mask. We're in the middle of a pandemic. It shouldn't be that difficult. But when we talk about making that mandatory and, and asserting penalties to that, that will look very differently in communities of color than it will for everyone else. And that has already been shown to us as to what happened in New York, whereas in Central Park you have policemen handing out masks to people that were in groups and, and sitting on the grass and having a good time. But in the communities of color, you see policemen roughing them up, tackling them to the ground and arresting them. This is the differences in how you police communities of color. And this is, speaks exactly to what we're talking about and why one of the biggest concerns I have when people say we need to have penalties for not wearing a mask. Yeah, it is true. Your example of the elevator, there's a direct line in there. I would, I think, right, you're going to tell me, uh, you know, between the woman clutching her purse, that attitude, um, and the way police treat uh, different communities differently. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, Representative, yes. Representative Hollins, your your uh, comments on uh, on this. Uh, you know, I, I agree. It's, it's a societal change and shift that needs to happen, that needs to occur. And Darlene gave some great examples of, of, of some um, biases that have occurred in our community, especially around wearing, you know, with wearing the mask during COVID-19. You know, we've had, um, when everything came out, you know, started happening with COVID-19 and we started discussing wearing masks, there were a lot of people in our community, particularly our black men, who were afraid to put masks on because of the perception of walking in a store with a mask on and how they're going to be perceived and whether the police is going to be called. And so that, that's been part of the discussion in our, in our communities. Um, and so that, that's a part of the, the, the biases that, that is occurring. Um, you know, right now we've all seen the film every single day of when the police have been used as a weapon um, towards particularly our black men, well, black men and women, because I've seen a number of it at times that has happened to women also, um, by particularly white women, um, with no, with really no cause when they should not have been called into that situation. And we know that if the police are called into that situation with them calling and saying, Hey, you know, I'm feeling threatened, you know, those are, those are cold words. I'm feeling threatened, he's doing this to me, and downright lying, and using police officers as a weapon, and that's part of the, that's part of the bias, because we know that black men in particular are perceived as a threat. They're perceived as, as a threat. You know, there have been situations my husband has gone into, and he had said, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, we had a friend of ours who, um, a white male who was locked out of his home, and my husband and I went over to help him. 
you know, um, and my husband refused to get out of the car. And he said, because he let me go get out of the car and help, he said, because I don't want his neighbors calling the police if they see me standing there and thinking that something else is going on. These are a part of our realities every single day. We have to move and operate in a very, in a heightened awareness that I think America don't understand, will never understand. When you get home at the end of the day, you're tired from working. When we get home at the end of the day, we're tired from having to maneuver through racism every day. It's very, very, very tiresome. And I think part of that needs to be in the conversation and there needs to be an understanding around that. We teach our kids a whole lot different. I had to teach my daughters what to do when you're stopped by the police. You keep your hands on the wheel, and, and Darlene could tell you she's had these conversations with her kids. Keep your hands on the wheel. Don't make any sudden moves. Narrate every single thing that's going to happen. Let them know I'm going to reach to the right to get my purse, my, my ideas in my purse. You have, and these are things that we have to teach our kids. When you go into a grocery store or a store, do not leave without having a receipt and a bag because you don't want to be perceived as stealing from the store. You know, it, it, and, and it's very, very tiresome. So there needs to be an understanding and there needs to be an entire shift in this community around racism and biases. Uh, it occurs to me that, uh, you know, I guess part of the part of what's helped move awareness forward is the age of cell phones. Right. And, and that uh, you, mm-hmm. you, you can tell your experience till you're blue in the face and uh, <laughs> it's not going to be accepted. But yeah. but if you actually can show it on video, maybe people pick that up and understand. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. I, I agree with that on one level. I mean, we saw the video of Rodney King. And it didn't change anything. Mm, yeah, that's right. We, we, yes. I mean, we, we the prosecutors in the Ahmad Armory case, they had the video. They had video them them shooting him as he was jogging. So it's not necessarily just having it on video. We have many videos of many of these injustices. There also must be accountability as well mm-hmm. and not just the video the videos are helpful it is awakening the consciousness yes and allowing people to see what is happening more people to see what is happening but we must also have accountability as well so that's from a conversation in july um conversation about police reform uh, with Representative Sandra Hollins, Democrat from Salt Lake City, and Darlene McDonald, who's chairwoman of the Utah Black Roundtable and member of the newly created Salt Lake City Commission uh, for Racial Equity in Policing. Uh, Jason Gilmore, I, I was so, so struck. I mean, I was struck during the conversation. I was, I was even more struck going back and listening to that, uh, preparing this for today, um, that it struck me as so valuable to to hear these experiences. These are not my experiences, you know, especially that I can't remember which one of these uh, uh, great women said, uh, you know, when you get home at night, you're tired from, 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 from your day. When we get home at night, we're tired from navigating racism. 
Yeah, I, I, I think about my own experiences being pulled over. I think the last time I was pulled over by a policeman, I was apologized to um, and sent on my way. Um, the thing is, is that my experience is not the same. Um, but the thing is, as a white person, I think in this situation is that uh, we have a couple of choices when it comes to uh, listening to these stories, or, or at least I think this is how it plays out on our national scene, is number one, we can believe them when they tell this story that they are experiencing the world different from us. Um, and that is a meaningful thing to, to say, I believe you, right? I believe that this is actually happening. I mean, the videos definitely help with that on a national level, but on the personal level, I think it, it's an important, people need to, to, to make that step and say, I believe you, because the other option, or at least the other thing that I see so many people do is step in and say, well, but, you know, and then they start to tell their story for them so that they, so that it makes them feel more comfortable about having the privileged position that they're in, right? Oh, well, but it's because there's so much violence in the black community or, well, you know, they were probably doing something wrong or, you know, this, this kind of step to, to not believing the stories that they hear, even though, they're hearing very real and in some cases seeing very real differences um, in the experiences. And, uh, you know, as a white person, you, you, it, it, it makes no sense to me that you wouldn't believe somebody who's telling a story and that that story is being told over and over and over again. But I understand it on a psychological level because people want to protect themselves. They want to think that, no, 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 this isn't really happening. Um, and no, 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 it's, it's the same in my community as in their community. Um, but that's the thing about privilege is that for so long, white people have been able to tell the stories of, their, of our communities of color and have those stories be the definitive stories for those communities instead of the stories that come out of those communities. Um, and that is, that is part of the, the problem. Right. Is that the stories that that become the definitive stories are told by people who don't have those experiences um, because they they don't believe or don't want to believe the stories, the actual stories that are coming out of those communities. Um, so, you know, the the funny thing is, is that, you know, and we were talking about this when it, when, when talking about supporting public radio is what is your contribution? And I get, I got phone calls after uh, the last time I was on the, the show after the George Floyd killing. Um, a lot of white people turn to me and say, what can I do? Right? I, don't, I feel powerless. I want to help. I want to do something. This is hugely important in our country that people feel this need. Um, but they're also perplexed as to what I can do. Um, and there are small things, right? There are bigger things that you can do. You can get involved. You can change things in your own organization. Um, you can have these conversations. You can make sure that you're not definitively telling the story of somebody else. Um, but the small step of saying, I believe you, I believe that this is going on, is part of your contribution, right? And making sure that people around you understand that as well, that you believe this story and that you are going to work um, 
to make sure that this story becomes the definitive story, that that people get to tell their own story, that we don't get to tell it for them. Yeah, well said, well said. Um, So uh, we are uh, talking with Jason Gilmore, Associate Professor of Global Communications at Utah State University. Uh, We're hearing some best of Access Utah, and uh, the main purpose today is to raise money for uh, Utah Public Radio. It's our fall member drive. And exciting news, Vernie Heaney in Vernal has put up $600 in a dollar-for-dollar match. So your money is doubled this morning up until noon. Um, And so uh, she's especially challenging uh, listeners in Vernal and the Uinta Basin to meet this challenge. Also, listeners who are school teachers or retired uh, school teachers. So uh, thanks for that challenge. Your money doubled uh, this morning. Hope that you'll take advantage of this. Uh, you can go to upr.org, upr.org, and take care of that with the, the online form. Just a couple of minutes out of your day, and uh, and you'll feel good having taken care of that, upr.org. Uh, we thank uh, several who have called in during this hour. Thank you so much for uh, for responding. A listener in North Logan, uh, who didn't want to be acknowledged on there, but says we listen every morning and have been for years and years. Thank you so much. Uh, Richie and Crystalyn Call. Uh, from uh, Logan. We love UPR, they say. We love listening to Carrie and Tom. It's been a special treat to get to hear the segments put together by Mary Hears. We listen as often as we can. Thanks, they say. Thank you to you. Uh, John Ellerbeck has uh, uh, called in from Logan. Um, Preston Culver from Hiram uh, says, thank you. I'm happy to have the service. And uh, a listener from Menden has called in as well. Thank you. All of those great folks have had their money doubled this morning, and you can as well. Vernahini has put up $600 for that purpose. Let's take a break. We come back uh, one more Best Up segment. UPR's debunked podcast is made possible by our members and the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration Rural Opioid Technical Assistance Program, offering programs to address barriers of access to rural communities related to opioid use disorder. And Utah Tourism Industry Association, presenting the first-ever virtual Utah Tourism Conference. September 23rd and 24th, watch parties in Salt Lake, St. George, Ogden, and Logan, limited to 50 people, with COVID-19 safety precautions in place. Information at utahtourism.org. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We've reached our last segment uh, on our best of Access Utah during the uh, fall member drive. We're joined uh, for the hour by USU Associate Professor of Communication Studies, Jason Gilmore. Um, and uh, we are looking for your support. It's the fall member drive. Uh, we're looking for your support for Access Utah and for Utah Public Radio. And your money is doubled. Uh, it's matched by Vernie Heaney and Vernal. Uh, she's put up $600 for that purpose. And so up until that money is uh, is totally maximized or uh, noon, whichever comes first, uh, your money is doubled. So thanks to Bernie Heaney for, for that uh, um, th- that incentive. Uh, so Jason Gilmore, I want to play just a, a part of this episode uh, from just last week with uh, Carol Anderson, um, a prominent author and a professor, and she... Uh, one of her books is One Person, No Vote, talking about the history of voter suppression um, in the U.S. Very, very timely topic, unfortunately. Um, so but maybe just very quickly, Jason Gilmore, you um, and, and to me, it's very important to learn to, to remember the history. And some people don't know the history. I know you take students, uh, you know, through the South, the civil rights uh, 
places, um, I think, for this purpose, right, to, to so that make sure they know the history? Indeed, yeah. We take, uh, I mean, I'm on sabbatical, so I'm not taking anybody this year, but uh, we take uh, students down to the South um, to learn the history of the civil rights movement in the South. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we visit a number of different places from Birmingham to Selma, um, to teach the history of this um, with very much an eye on connecting it with the present. Um, you know, the myth that, you know, it's just in the South that racism exists um, is something that needs to be dispelled. And so that that's definitely a, a huge part of the, the experience is to understand the parallels to now. Uh, so this uh, part of our conversation with Carol Anderson, we'll only be able to play part of it because we're running out of time, but I, I, I do want to get this one in. Um, this is She talks about the Mississippi Plan of 1890, and this is the genesis of uh, the laws that these the white uh, majority legislatures passed uh, when they became afraid that uh, black voters might actually register and vote. Uh, and I want to preface this by saying that it was it was very very successful. Of course, paired with terrorism and the Ku Klux Klan and and, and the like. So the Fifteenth Amendment, we thought, guaranteed everyone the right to vote. But but by these measures that Carol Anderson is going to talk to us a little bit about, um, that was that, that franchise was effectively very effectively taken away from African Americans. Let's hear this, uh, Carol Anderson, Mississippi Plan of eighteen ninety. It was in 1890 in Mississippi. Mississippi was concerned um, because the U.S. was in the middle of a massive economic downturn. And poor whites and poor blacks were beginning to organize together. (laughs) It was like, whoa, wait a minute. We have done our best to split these folks to make them think that they have nothing in common. What is this organizing together thing? And so the Mississippi State Legislature came up with a plan. It was called the Mississippi Plan of 1890. And they realized that they were dealing with the 15th Amendment now that said, the state shall not abridge the right to vote on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. And so the question was, how do you write a law saying we don't want black folks to vote without writing a law saying we don't want black folks to vote? Prior to the 15th Amendment, we saw a slew of these laws coming through in the United States, in the North and in, in, in the, you don't even have to think about it in the South because of slavery. But after the Civil War, after the 15th Amendment, how do we write a law saying we don't want black folks to vote? And Mississippi said, I got it. We're going to use the societally imposed condition on African Americans. We're going to use slavery's legacies and make those legacies access to the ballot box. And we're going to make it all sound legal, all sound legitimate. We're going to talk about trying to end corruption at the ballot box, trying to bring integrity back to the election system. We're going to talk about ending voter fraud. But what we're really doing is trying to stop every black person from voting. And so, and this is how we're going to do it. So one of the the tools in the Mississippi plan was the poll tax. And the poll tax said, 
when you know elections are expensive, <laughs> you got, you know, you got to have places where people are voting. You got to have people taking the votes. You got to have people counting the votes. And, so and so if you really believed in democracy, you would be willing to pay a small tax in order to ensure that this democracy runs efficiently. So you see right there, it flips the onus onto the citizen and not onto the state for ensuring free and fair elections. If you really believed, you would pay. But the second thing that it does is that it preys on the systemic poverty of the black community, born out of centuries of unpaid labor, followed by the black code, followed by sharecropping, so that the poll tax in Mississippi actually amounted to 2 to 6% of a Mississippi farm family's annual income. So while it might sound nominal, imagine paying 2 to 6% of your annual income to vote. And the poll tax was cumulative. So if it took you years to be able to come up with enough money to pay, you owe, and it took you 20 years, you owe 20 years of back poll taxes before you could vote. Poll tax was lethal. Lethal. And then Carol Anderson goes on to talk about the literacy test, the understanding test. Um, uh, you know, and if one uh, one tax or test didn't get you, then the other one would, uh, effectively disenfranchising African Americans uh, down to under three percent of. Uh, uh, and I think she says in 1965, Voting Rights Act. Uh, before that was passed, three percent of African Americans uh, in the South were uh, were able to vote. Um, so important to, to know the history. We're, we're out of time, so not a chance to talk about this, but uh, I wanted to, to play that for, for our listeners. Uh, so Jason Gilmore, just uh, about a minute and a half left. Uh, your, your final appeal to fellow listeners, uh, why should they give? You know, I, uh, I teach a lot of different values in my classes, and I think the value that I would kind of bring to, to right now is the value of contribution. Um, you know, what is your contribution is a, is a question I always ask my students. How are you going to contribute? What is it that you're going to bring? Um, you got to play to your strengths. You know, you're not going to always uh, be an activist the way everybody else is. You got to find your own unique contribution. And, you know, in a place like this, uh, something so easy as to just um, donate quickly to Utah Public Radio that you know you know, through this hour you've seen, uh, is willing to have these conversations, is willing to, to allow people to tell their own stories. Um, you know, one of the ways you can contribute that's uh, pretty darn easy, go to upr.org um, and, you know, support this type of programming that you know in the, his, in the past has, has taken on these issues, and that's an example and a model for what's going to happen in the future. We're going to keep, keep having these conversations here. So if you're looking for a way to contribute, well, here's one readily available right in front of you. Well, thank you so much. Jason Gilmore is Associate Professor of Global Communications or Communication Studies at Utah State University. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Tom. 
And uh, here at the end, uh, just want to acknowledge Jack Green from uh, Smithfield has called in with his pledge, uh, which has been doubled now. Uh, he says, love Tom's Access Utah program and many others. Thanks, Jack. Thanks to, thanks to everyone who's, who's pledged, and uh, keep those coming. Uh, UPR.org, and thank you.